called a yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, after six wearying days in the Southland desert, uncertain if you were on the right trail or whether you'd gone astray, you have finally caught sight of the Rusty Mountains. At first, a distant reddish disturbance to an otherwise flat horizon, the mountains now loom impressively above you. Rough, craggy, lifeless cliffs give the impression of bones connected to the greater mountains by large joints formed of boulders, and the deep crimson color of the rocks on this shadowed side of the range gives it the impression of dried carrion. Overhead, the sun glares down like a vulture that, having picked the mountains clean of vegetation and natural life, now waits for any creature foolish enough to enter the forbidding grounds with intent to strike them down. Imposing as all that is, there is a brief glimmer of civilization here. Wedged between the Southlands desert and the rusty mountains, like a nail hammered forcefully into an old oak tree, is the small village of Hembley Hoo. Protected on the three sides not pressed against a mountain cliff by a wall of wood over a stone foundation, Hembley Hoo is a modest place filled with simple wood and thatch homes. Outside, uh, outside the wall are a few small, very tenaciously worked farmlands that grow what appears to be just enough fresh vegetables to keep a village like this alive, along with a few uh, meager flocks of livestock. The wall, a simple square, has a single large gate with a gatehouse next to it. As you approach the village at the end of six of the longest days of your lives, lugging along the tent you purchased from Duffin on a small wooden sled you also purchased from Duffin with both of the twins napping in that tent recovering from sun poisoning, Radford and Allen have been having one of those classic long road trip arguments over what's going to be the best thing about getting out of the desert and back into a normal town. As we enter this conversation, I'd also like each of you to briefly describe the appearance of your character now having spent six days in the desert wasteland. So, Alan is not well protected in the uh, clothing department from the sun. Um, uh, it is very ironic that one of the twins, the one that Cleo plays, what's the one that that one is? It's only been two Riley. sessions with that one. Riley. It's very funny that Riley lectured uh, that hilarious merchant about uh, protection from the sun and whatnot. Then Riley got sun poisoning, as well as Owlin was there witnessing this rant about the sun and protecting yourself from the sun, and still did not do much to protect himself from the sun, uh, besides sleeping in the tent during the day, I guess. But... Alan's red. He's red. He's red all over. He's what's what's black and white and red all over? Alan. Um, and his glasses. When he's when he gets all sweaty from walking in the desert, it's like they get all misty and it's like hard to see. And he has to like smudge them to like be able to see. He's constantly cleaning them. Um, and. What else? What else about him? What else about him? Is ch- That's pretty much it. He's still wearing his tool belt. Kind of is like uh, chafing against him a little bit because it's so hot all the time. Um, yeah, that's about it. Well, Radford, <clears throat> he's got scales, so he doesn't really burn. Um, but what's happened is he has, he has been sweating so much that the sand has like is like sticking it in the cracks between his scales and it's giving him this powder covered donut sort of look <laughs> to his uh to his, to his exposed skin and like no matter which way he turns there's just like a little poof of sandy dust that just like 
comes off of him. Every time he takes a step, he's just like exuding this cloud of very fine sand and dust. And he's just looking really, really powdered right now. And I don't like it. It's just, it chafes. And it gets it. <coughs> I keep breathing it in. Alex, we need to get this off. What is I, I, I too, am pulling the sled next to you, and when you breathe it out, I, <laughs> I, I'm breathing it in as well. You don't have to tell me twice. I, why are you pink? I, because of the sun. Hello, it is strange that I've become pink from sunburn when we've been traveling during the night and sleeping during the day. That's a logical inconsistency that I haven't really thought of until now. Quite interesting. There must be some sort of behaviors of the sun here that are different. I'm not sure. Well, Roll was, to discover UV radiation. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was quite obvious that we, we pushed through the day the last couple days just to make it here a little sooner. Uh, yes, of course, of course. I forgot that. That's how tired I am. It's probably your sun poisoning and why you can't remember. The heat does funny <laughs> things to your radish. Wait, to... What? I, th I think we're all... I think we're all just... A bit out of sorts, um, however, not nearly as bad as the twins. I do hope that they recover. I think just a couple days of rest or so will get them back into shape. We still have them. I thought we dropped them off by last, like a day ago. Um, I, uh, Alan, like frantically, like looks back <laughs> on the sled and is like, uh, 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 no, they're they're still there. About they're just how heavy. The sled was, and we were gonna like lighten the load. I didn't know what I was going on with that. I just assumed. No, no, they're they're still there. They they don't weigh that. Wow, I really was out of it. Well, yes. Anyway, we're we're here. Uh, as you are having this conversation, the you know the sun again just kind of going down past the um, past the mountains, and so you're on kind of the shadowed side of the cliffs. But the moon is not yet high, and it it could still be called early evening. Uh, if you were if you were trying to define the time of day, you can see uh, up ahead of you. You've now come close enough that you can make out the form of a male human standing at the guardhouse, and he's uh, stepped just outside the guardhouse, and he's kind of squinting towards you, looking your way, and he's got you know a, a, a very simple kind of wooden spear with an iron tip in one hand. He's got uh, meager leather armor on, you know, pretty weathered and and you know exposed to the sand a lot. And he he looks out at you, and he suddenly stands up and goes, "Oi." Are you there? Are you coming? Are you coming here? You coming uh, to Hemley yes. Who? You, yes, you better get correct. over here quickly. When the gates we close, made it this far. the gates close at sundown, and they don't open overnight. You, you better come on. Uh, yes, thank you, thank you very much, sir. Uh, and Alan will pull faster on the yeah. Side. So you you hustle a little bit and you make it there, maybe slightly out of breath, but you get to the guardhouse, and he says. Right, okay. <clears throat> uh, let's see. Let's get through all the protocol here quickly. Uh -huh. uh, name, adventuring company name. And he pulls out a little piece of paper and he's got a, a quill in his hand. Uh, four guys, ventures, and vibes. Four guys, ventures, and vibes. Mm -hmm. uh, and will you be traveling as a party? I assume you'll all want lodgings as a, as, a, as a group. Yes, that is correct. Yes, very well, very well. Okay, let's see what's available. And he pulls out a sort of like a little flip book of papers and he flips through it pretty quickly and he goes, hmm, looks like you're staying at... Ah, the Sword and Flagon. That's a good one. You'll you'll like it there. The Sword and Flagon's... A, a, it's, it's fairly reasonable. Uh, Do they yes. have a bathhouse? Yes, they've got... Uh, 
every we are used to adventurers around here, sir. Uh, every 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 inn in this area will have all of the various uh, accoutrements that you would need. Uh, so if you'll just head down, and he kind of points out a little path through the town of Hemblyhoo to you, and the town you can now see from here is not very difficult to navigate. Um, from a like the town itself is not very big, but it is very windy. There's no like there was no governing council or city ordinance to arrange the homes, and so homes just plopped up wherever people decided to put a home. So the streets are very windy and like they are not at all the most efficient route from A to B and some of them dead end into nothing and there's not very good signage. Um, and so you're getting instructions like now just make it past the third cobblestone that's sticking up out of the road and then when you turn left you'll make your way down until you find that inn with a sign that's kind of weathered and falling off the one hinge and that's where you turn right and then you'll go around sort of like a U-turn shape and then you'll kind of go down like a very slight hill and you'll see like a little bush in the ground and right next to that bush is the sword and flagon. And so you you kind of get some ridiculous directions like that. Um, but they're communicated well and efficiently. He goes, all right. You see, Alan, this is what I mean. When there's like no zoning and people can just like build where they want, it makes it cozy. It's, it's definitely superior to like those towns where they plan everything out. Uh, well, I am too tired to debate the pros and cons of city planning. Uh, however, I think I know where we're going. <laughs> Right. Yep. Uh, okay, I'll just go over the town rules briefly, and I'll send you on your way. You look like you've been traveling all day, he says with a question mark. Uh, and, and, anyway. and, and night. Wow. Uh, well, anyway. <clears throat> uh, okay, no drawn weapons in public streets or buildings. No blood oaths. All dungeon loot must be bought or sold at the village trading post. Duels only to first blood. No more duels to the death. We had a great mess of that uh and stay off the rooftops of buildings that you don't own if you can't produce the deed and you're found on a rooftop of a building you don't own you will probably be challenged to a duel to the death and it'll be a whole thing so just stay off the rooftops of buildings you don't own great uh all right i'll send you on your way and he quickly kind of hustles you through the gate and the the gate literally as you're walking in swings closed behind you two more uh, similarly dressed and armored members of the town guard, the local militia kind of swing the gates shut behind you and a as a, the, the moonlight from behind you is blotted out. The sun has gone down. And so for this brief span of time, the streets are pretty dark uh, in the village of Hembley who, but for all that, they're not very quiet. Uh, there's plenty of hustle and bustle and people strolling around. And you can see as you walk that there are lots of small groups of individuals traveling. Creatures of all shape and size. Uh, this seems to be a pretty homogenous community. You see dirt folk talking with tieflings. Uh, you know, just a very well-rounded group and all of them are moving in little adventuring companies so you see all different kinds of interesting weapons and armors and you know some people have really cool looking scars and things like that uh as you wind through the streets and eventually you find yourself at the sword and flagon the Sword and Flagon is a cozy establishment with a warm glow coming from the windows lit by the roaring fire in the fireplace. It's got a, a very simple kind of wooden outside, you know, four pane glass windows, some homemade wooden oak tables inside, lots of people kind of lounging about doing, um, you know, either, either drinking or eating or just talking and, and being merry with each other. You can see all different, you know, the, the place is packed um, and so have been the other pubs you've passed on the way here. 
And so there are, you know, lots of, you're kind of squeezing your way through, um, which is, is tough maybe for Owlin, especially who's a little bit more broad shouldered and, and buff as a barbarian, but you kind of squeeze your way through until you get to, uh, the line for the bar. And there's a little bit of a line. So you're kind of waiting in line, taking it all in. Um, and eventually you make it to the front and a, uh, a well-dressed aged looking, uh, half elf sees you and he says, uh, hello. Welcome to the Sword and Flagon. How may I assist you tonight? Uh, hello. Um, we were given directions from the town guard that has an adventuring company. We were uh, supposed to stay here, and it will be me and my companion Radford, as well as our two other companions who are currently napping in our tent outside on our sled. Yes, yes, of course. We have some lodgings left. Let me let me get you a key. And he turns around and kind of hobbles to the back wall and opens a little cabinet back there, like a medicine cabinet-sized deal, and pulls a key off a hook, comes over and hands it to you. Here you are. If you go up the stairs in that corner, and he points through the room, and you can see just beyond a small little makeshift stage where bards might play, there is a staircase in the corner. It kind of winds up to the next floor. If you go just up those stairs, you're in the third room on the right. Uh, will you be having anything to drink? Um, uh, Alan will look at Radford. Water. <laughs> yes, I can get you some water. It won't even add to your tab. And he turns around, scoops up two, um, like big kind of tankards or mugs. Uh, and with a speed and dexterity you might not have expected from a man of his size, swings them underneath two large barrels that are kind of set sideways on the... Uh, like on the counter behind him and he uses the mugs to like knock the cap out of the front of the barrels and they kind of fill up with water and then when it finishes he just sets them down so they kind of overflow a little bit onto the counter and realizes he's knocked the little cap off and he goes over and like oh, I've got to get the cap my mistake and bends over grabs it and comes back sticks the little cap in the barrels and says here you are and he hands you two very very sopping wet completely full tankards of water freshest water this side of well that wall and he uh <laughs> smiles at you yes uh well thank you and uh as well i will have uh one of your uh acclaimed uh flagons of ale if if that is all yes right. of course uh that'll be one wingle digit please sir uh yes and alan will will give him one exceptional and he gets you a, a flagon of ale and hands it to you uh it is uh, well, why don't we roll to see how good it is? Well, it's the place is named after it, so you'd hope. One would hope, wouldn't they? Am I rolling Redford or are you just, rolling? I'm rolling, rolling right now. Two-handed, okay. guggling, like just chugging this thing back, and water's like coming down his face, and it's like crystallizing into ice around the corners of his mouth. It's an eight, so it's like an average ale, you know. That's below eight, average. Well, eight to twelve would be like you know, oh, right sure. in the middle, you know. So it's like it's like a it's it's fine. You know, it's Alan he's will, not breaking out like the strong stuff for you yet. You know, <laughs> Alan will take a sip and kind of like uh, try to conceal like a little like eyebrow raise as far as just like that's it. Uh, and then uh, it'll take a sip. Kind of he's put it good. Down. Yes, he's good. Uh, mm hmm. Yes. And then Alan will drink uh, more of his water before going back to the ale. Um, but after after uh, they're finished, Alan will want to uh, grab the twins and like just carry them up to the room that we were given and, and probably store the like fold up the tent and store the sled up there as well. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's fine. Radford, what are you doing while Alan works on all that? 
Um, looking for the bath, like a bathhouse. Oh yes. Like, do they have like a spa here, like a <laughs> like a hot spring, or is this just like a bucket in a corner? Yeah, in your room, uh, the the rooms are clearly built for adventuring parties, and so the room is plenty big enough for four medium sized humanoids. It's got four beds in it. The uh, you know the the decorations are a little threadbare, a little worn. There's kind of a a rug that's you know got that patch that's wearing through in the middle of it on the floor but it has everything you need i mean there's a little lock box there are some hooks for your traveling cloaks there's um a little closet for you to put clothes and things and there's a um like a, a water tank basically in the corner and then like uh, you know a couple buckets next to it so you would be able to just kind of wash yourself that way the floors are wood and it seems like this is the sort of place where you would just dump water on yourself and the water kind of soaks into the wood and then goes away um, and that is, oh, and you've got a couple windows. So there are like some, you know, those little four plane, four pane kind of quaint glass windows looking out onto the street outside. Uh, the moon is now like, you know, kind of shining happily in the sky, uh, back over the wilderness. You, you would never know how horrifying that desert was looking out at it from this cozy little pub in this quaint little town. Well, Radford is going to push the, uh, like the, the wash tub essentially into into a corner or into a, like a private area like set up a little divider and he's going to pour some of his uh his bubble solution into it and uh and kind of like do the old western style bath where it's like his his torso and his feet are out but the rest of him is it yep and he's, he's just like scrubbing himself down just humming a little song scrub it up dub i'm dragging in a tub hey it's me uh alan it takes you a a few minutes to you know like each trip is is a little while through just because you're kind of winding your way through the crowd uh what is your passive perception because you probably overhear a little bit of conversation throughout the the pub as you're maneuvering here uh 12 12 uh so you pick up just little snippets of of conversation and a lot of them are fairly like, like kind of like nothing conversation or fluff conversation where people are like, yeah, you know, I've been benching 20 lately instead of 15 and, you know, stuff like that. Um, and you look over and it's like a little teeny rootling. I've been getting swole, everybody. Uh, and then you, <laughs> you, you know, you overhear someone else who's talking about how much they were able to make last time they sold off some of their dungeon loot. Um, but then you hear, uh, you overhear one conversation where a an, an older woman seems to be imploring with a younger woman to not go adventuring with her adventuring company anymore. And you overhear her saying, you can't, you can't keep doing this. The, the people who've been going into the rusty jungle don't come back anymore. It's not safe. You've, you've got to steer your company in another direction. The, it's, it's been years since anyone's really successfully discovered something new there. Just do one of the dungeons on the maps. And she, you know, the, the young girl's shooting back like, no, we're adventurers and we need to make a name for ourselves. And the best way to do that is to go where people can't go. That's the whole point. You would never have settled for a dungeon that was already explored. And there's, you know, just kind of this back and forth happening as you're, you're going through. Okay. Um, uh, Alan tries to recall to memory. Is there a pretty high likelihood that he and he and, the group are going to have to go through the rusty jungle. Was that on the list of things that we might have to encounter? Yeah. The odds are pretty high. 
Okay. Um, especially since right now, like you don't have a map or a guide. So right now you can pretty much assume that you're, there are kind of four regions of the rusty mountains. There's okay. the low peaks, there's the cliffs, there's the rusty jungle and there's the high peaks. And mm-hmm. since you don't know anything about where you're going right now, you have to assume that it could be in any of them. Um, okay. And then the other thing was that we had a lead about some sort of waterfall. Right? Yes. There's a, a geyser falls. And okay. Geyser Falls is in the middle of the Rusty Jungle. It's in the jungle, of course. It yes. Is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, that's funny. Uh, so we need, and we talked about trying to find a guide that would take us there. But this mm-hmm. conversation makes Alan think maybe there's not a guide that would want to take us there. Because it seems like people aren't coming back. Um Alan will try to um, make a note of the face of the girl that is her and her adventuring party are going into the rusty jungle. Sure. Um, she's she's to, a little not, halfling girl with kind of like curly brown hair. Okay. Um, not to approach her now while she's like arguing with her mom or something. Yeah. Um, but to maybe approach her tomorrow uh, if that, if that, if, if he comes across her again or like is able to find her again to talk about maybe, maybe seeing if. As you're, as you're kind of making us. this mental note, what you're still maneuvering this big sled kind of trying to weave through the crowd yeah. artfully without knocking anyone over and mostly succeeding. You know, people aren't really getting upset about you because yeah. what can you do? Um, but as you're watching, you see uh, from the next table over um, a, a different woman, uh, an elf, uh, olive skinned from being in the sun so much. She slumps over, clearly totally wasted, and goes, hey, you want to make a name for yourself? <laughs> you got to find the scale. <laughs> the, the scale. I've, I've been saying it for years. And the, the mother goes, now, now, we don't even know that this exists, okay? I need you to just to hear it. Just pull it back in, okay? Just bring it in. You're drunk. You do this every night. You talk about how, oh, someone's got to find the mystical scales in here and make the things. No, it's called the scale stars scale stars and last time it changed and Zanir took out wrath on the world for 10 years and i'm just saying that magic vanished all of a sudden and maybe it's the scale and if you could find it and switch it back you might turn it back on and then she passes out and falls over on the floor um next to the table and both women just kind of look down at her in disgust and like go back to their argument with each other interesting <laughs> um they go back to their argument uh yeah alan's still gonna try to like be like okay this is someone i'm gonna talk to tomorrow i don't want to interrupt her like conflict with her mom um but and uh, he'll keep he'll keep yeah. going up to to bring the so the, you the sled up you eventually maneuver the sled through the room get back up the stairs just as radford is finished and he's you know he's all clean and he's clothed and you come back into the room and you've made the final trip with all your junk so there's a tent up here kind of stowed in one corner there are two wheatlings uh wrapped or or swaddled in tent cloth and <laughs> laid just the the bed is comically big for a wheatling yep. they're like they're they're like tucked into the pillowcase you know like <laughs> to, to <laughs> sleep on this bed um but there is a bed for each of you so they you know they're truly dwarfed by theirs but there there are still two open beds Alan radford is, has oh. has tucked them in and has put little washcloths on their foreheads <laughs> to help cool them off very helpful 
Um, Alan will plop on his bed and uh, probably immediately go to sleep after a full night and day of <laughs> traveling to get to uh, Hembley Who. Is that what it's called? Yes, Hembley Who. I remembered it. Um, I almost called it like Hoobly Do or something <laughs> uh, to get to Hembley Who. So he's going to be ready for a night's rest. Oh, before he falls asleep, he's going to like kind of like, uh, uh, um, uh, Radford, I'm just trying hmm. to make a mental note. Uh, I, as I was bringing uh, our friends and our gear in, uh, into the inn, I rem- uh, had an encounter or overheard a conversation between two women. They appeared to be a mother and daughter, and the daughter was wanting to go into the rusty f- uh, jungle, which is where, oh, where we will be going. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the mom was basically saying that she would probably die if she went there. Um, so that's not necessarily a good sign, but it's not nothing we have. I'm so tired. It's not something we haven't encountered before. Um, but I want to make a mental note that I need to talk to her or see if I can talk to her tomorrow. Anyway, I'm going to bed. Okay. I'm going to stay up for a little bit. Oh, hey, Alan's already asleep. <laughs> oh, and, and I'll put a washcloth on Alan's sunburnt forehead as well. Okay. What's Radford up to? He's staying up for a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, he's kind of tired, but he's kind of caught a little bit of that second wind from having a bath. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of kind of sucked all the heat out of his body. And uh, I think I'm going to go on a little a little nightly stroll. Just just a little quick down the down the road a little bit. Maybe see if I can find a midnight snack and uh, listen in every once in a while. Like a like if I walk by some taverns, I might just like listen in on the windows, you know, open windows, try to see sure. what's going on. Uh, okay, why don't you make a perception check for me to determine how well you're able to overhear things, and then we'll talk about your little stroll through the quaint village of Hembley Who. That's such a fun name. I like Hembley Who as a name. Me too. 18. Oh, I'm sorry, 16. 16. Radford, you step out onto the cheerily moonlit cobblestone streets of Hembley Who, the wooden thatch homes around you looking far less imposing than the mountains did in the distance on your way here. And you just, uh, are you maybe walking with um, those those wooden shoes that you talked about before? I can't remember the name mm-hmm. of them. So you, you have a little, Maqueta. a little clop clop as you uh, kind of stroll down the street. Um, and, and as you're kind of walking through every now and then you know you pass somebody else and they nod pleasantly to you and give you a little smile and continue on their way or you know a top of the evening to you and you know it's it's a it's a friendly little town um you stroll through the area and you're just kind of looking around for other taverns and stuff um most of them have similar names so you know you're in the sword and flagon there's also the horse and ale there you know just things like that and so you you're kind of wandering around and you Spend some time next to different windows and things like that. You also do find a midnight snack. Uh, the midnight snack you find, it's even free because you find a, uh, a mother who is handing out um, freshly baked bread to the various uh, like street children, basically, of Hembley Who. Um, they're, you don't really have any context for them, so you don't know if they're abandoned or if they're just like kind of like privileged little kids who run out at night and get food from people. Um, sure. But she's handing out little freshly baked bread loaves to them, and she sees you looking and goes, "Would you like a loaf?" Oh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't take a, a loaf away from 
Oh, you're not child, taking but... anything away from them. I'm a baker. I've got lots of loaves. I've just begun tomorrow's oh, break, tomorrow's baking. So here you go. She hands you, um, hands you a loaf and a little, um, like a little tub of, of butter that you can have with it. Hmm. What brings That's you wonderful. to Hembley Who? Oh, just passing through. We're uh, looking for looking for somebody, and uh, an old uh, an old Wheatley friend. Is a good town to find somebody, though I must admit we see less of the teeny folk than we do of some of the more hardened, uh, being a, an adventuring oh, hub. She wouldn't be here. She's uh, nearby, out in the wilderness somewhere, in the mountains. Oh, not lost, this surely. Kind of a, well, I would hope not, but... It's, it's been uh, getting more and more dangerous out there. Hasn't there? What kind of dangers have been cropping up? Well, they've been shutting the gates overnight recently because there have been too many Tinkali attacks. Uh, they, they're they probably running out of food or whatever it is they need. I know people say they're sentient, but to me, they just look like monsters. Um, but they're, they've been, you know, coming to our village sometimes in the evenings and, and raiding on the, the outskirts, and then the militia has to chase them back out again. Adventuring guilds are coming back from the mountains and reporting sightings or, or attacks, and they never used to do that. We never used to, to brush into each other. Their territory was always deeper in the mountains. Um, but they... So what, ex- what exactly is a Tenkali? Oh, they're, they're like big... Um, what's, the, what's the word? Uh, uh, and she says something in Celestial. Do you furry? speak Celestial? Hmm. Let me check. Um, no. Big, I don't, uh, big, I speak big, 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 uh, uh, um, they're, they're like, uh, like, like large, um, lobster, like, no, they're like oh. lobster, but with, uh, you know, like the um, body of a, of a man and, and big hook tail. Um, oh, hmm. you have a word for them in common and I, I cannot think of it. I apologize. Um, scorpion. Yes, scorpion. That is the word. They're they're like big scorpion, but with with the body of a man, um, and they they have been, um, they they operate in groups. They're they're I suppose civilized, if you can call such a thing uh, civilized at all or civil. Um, but they they've been uh, yes they've been they've been either pushed closer to us or moved closer to us or whatever. And so the, the militia has decided it best to shut the town gates overnight to, to keep them out. Um, but hopefully your friend, uh, is not, is not trapped by them out in the wilderness. Oh, I presume my friend is, is in some sort of building or structure Her the, the place that she works for is very industrial. You haven't heard of any, like, Big companies around that are hiring people for anything? Hmm. No, no one has come here except to hire adventurers. What do they normally hire adventurers for? Well, you know, various rich people want to know what's in the dungeons but don't want to go and get their boots dirty Uh or things like that. Mm -hmm. So you have a lot of commission jobs here. And of course, surely you know uh, the... The, the Rusty Mountains have been well mapped by some of the, the permanent residents here. We get lots of visiting companies who are just trying to make a name for themselves. But, you know, a few of them live here, and those adventurers have made something of a business out of mapping the, the, the surrounding countryside. And so you can 
purchase a map and it will sort of guide you through, or you can even hire one of them as a guide if you, if you so choose. Um, and so sometimes there's work for them or sometimes they will, you know, uh, like for example, old man Lonnie, uh, he used to be an adventurer. He doesn't do it anymore. Bad back, you know? And so he will, uh, you know, every, every few lunar cycles, he will hire, uh, an adventuring party to go and check the dungeons he's already mapped and just see if anything has changed or if he needs to update his work and things like that. That makes sense. You said old man Lonnie. That's good. Uh, I might hit him up. Um, well, don't you wouldn't beat know him. anything or, oh no, I'm sorry. I, I'll talk to him. Oh, okay. Um, you wouldn't have to know anything about, uh, or maybe old man Lonnie would, about the rusty jungle. I hear that it's not frequented too incredibly much, but to me that means that there's probably someone, maybe one or two people who specialize in it alone, just because it's a bit more rare. Hmm. Well, what I can tell you, uh, I, I am a meager baker, and so I do not... Oh, oh, Willa has purchased a clue, but I, it doesn't look like she put what she wants a clue about in the chat. Uh, Willa, you gotta give us what you'd like a clue about, and then I will I will deliver this clue uh, unto the people. Um, sorry, where were we? I totally lost the thread. Well, thank you for the bread. No, there's no worries. I was just asking about if anybody, if there was anybody who specialized in the oh yes, in the rusty jungle. Yes, yes. Um, there, there. Uh, Chire Anne, uh, the the halfling who lives up yonder, and she points up another road. Um, she is a a sort of mother to everyone in this town. Uh, a bit of a sage of um of zini and wisdom, if you will, and uh, she she has often ventured on her own into the mountains, which is something that not many are brave enough to do. And so I imagine if there were a dangerous place that you wanted to know about, she would have been there and might be able mm. to help you. Very good. Thank you so much. Of course. And thank what you was, for the bread. What was your name? I am Radford the White. Well, Radford, I shall light a candle for your friend tonight. And she turns around and heads back into her, um, like heads back into her little, um, her little bakery and you can see just a few seconds later that a new little candle is placed up on one of the windowsills. Um, as he turns around and leaves, he just kind of like respectfully to, to the candles, uh, says, says kind of mutters to himself. I'm like chilling stuff. Good vibes to you. And, uh, turns around and heads back. Back to the sword and flagon, or to where Chire Ann is. Um, how late is it getting? Uh, the moon is now high in the sky. It's probably past midnight. Okay. Um, he's gonna go to bed. Okay. Uh, he heads home to bed, and uh, you don't need to worry about keeping a watch or anything like that with all the adventurers around. I'm sure you feel very safe. Question though. Yes. Um, on the way back, can he like try to clock one of these kids? To, like, does it look like they're heading to? Is there like an orphanage home or something like that, or does it look like they're just like neighborhood kids breaking away back to their houses? They they seem like neighborhood kids who are breaking away back gotcha. to their houses as they're leaving. You see a couple of them do some kind of cool secret handshake, and you get the idea that this might be like a budding little like rogues guild type thing in training, where they're like, "Oh, we're so cool, mm. we go out at night and do stuff," you know, um, yeah. that that sort of idea. 
uh, this is a town where being an adventurer is held in high esteem. So you're, you're kind of seeing a reflection of that in the behavior of the younglings. Um, you head back to the sword and flagon where although the, the din has not for certain not subsided, it is at least traversable now. Um, you know, enough people have gone to sleep that you can pass through the tavern easily. Um, you even get a couple raised hands and greeting or whatever, as you pass by just from, you know, pleasant strangers, you head up the stairs and go to bed and you and Owlin fall into a nice sleep. And as you are sleeping, for the first time in many moons, Radford, you dream one of those dreams that's not just a dream, maybe. Um, uh, you, you fall into a deep sleep, and you actually hear it before you see anything. You hear the, the wind rushing past, and you, then, you, then you begin to feel it. You feel little grains of sand um, not getting stuck in your scales like they did in the journey. This is really fine sand. Um, as it kind of passes across your scales. And so it's almost like a pleasant sort of like, um, like a, like a soothing, you know, kind of like a, like a exfoliating scrub, if you will, um, kind of, kind of rushing by. And then you blink and as you used to, uh, but have not for so long, you find yourself in a, a small shrine, um, where there are a number of teacups set around. Um, it, it's a, it's a very hospitable place, if you will. Um, and at one time you could enter a deep meditative trance, uh, in, in your, in your faith. And you would find yourself in this sort of inner sanctum, uh, where on occasion you felt that maybe Kelnor spoke to you. Uh, you, you find yourself now in this place. The seat on the other side of the table is still empty. Kelnor is not there. Um, you, you don't see K, you don't see anything like that, but you've tried this meditation a handful of times since the darkening and never have you found the, the, the pitcher of tea to be filled. And for the first time, as the fine white sands kind of swirl around you, creating a sort of wall of fog, uh, the, that pitcher is filled with tea. Um, not only that it's tea of a different color than you're accustomed to, uh, than you're accustomed to seeing. Normally, it's a green tea, but uh, today it's a it's a very very dark gray uh, sort of tea that that waits for you in the pitcher. Um, what do you do? Uh, is he like standing at the edge of this little gazebo looking? Yeah, you're basically standing. So you you get the idea that you could turn away and leave. Or you could mm-hmm. enter the the meditative state, if you will, the the sure. trance. Um, Rabford will drop any and all gear that may be on him if he's carrying his pack, and will slide his feet out of his geta, and very very gingerly walk as quietly and delicately as possible there's there's a thing that some i believe tibetan monks do it's called walking the rice paper where they where they tread with such a such a light uh footstep that it doesn't break this very delicate paper and and so he kind of approaches very gingerly but it like it it looks it looks almost effortless, but he's using a lot of control in his muscles to 
walk with a gentle purpose. As you going to approach, as you diligently approach with that sort of fine-tuned control of all your muscles, um, the the focus itself taking at least half of your attention. Um, you walk towards the table, and the pitcher tips towards you until clink, it lands against the edge of a teacup and begins the the teacup begins filling with tea and just as you arrive at the table as it used to the teacup you find full and the pitcher is ready to be set to right um you you set the the pitcher back to a a righted position and you look into the teacup and you can see swirling above it the reflection of all those grains of fine white sand kind of reflecting out of the gray like stars and as you look into that reflection, as the stars continue swirling around, suddenly it's a night sky, and you are swirling past the stars, your, your consciousness or your gaze pulled deeper and further into it, and you're looking through, you're following the trail of starlight, you pass the moon, and then you're back among the stars again, and eventually, you are looking down onto the village of Hembelihu, and you're you're above the village and so you're looking down and you don't have a good sense of the village because it's laid out so ridiculously and for sure even looking now you can tell like there's no way we will ever know our way around Hembelihu. like um and and as you watch a single owl with its um eye or its eyes it's with its wings spread wide passes across your vision and your eyes track it away and up towards the mountains and that owl is flying and flying and then it wild shapes and you recognize the wild shape of a druid um, as the owl wild shapes into a small quick moving creature that you eventually piece together as a wheatling Um, you're watching this wheatling it's moving faster and faster its wings buzzing into a blur as it zooms towards the mountains it goes over the low peaks it goes past the cliffs weaving between them you're beginning to get a little bit dizzy as your eyes are following its trail until eventually it flies over and you see you you fall to a place where you are behind it you're looking between two peaks at the back of this wheatling as it flies and beyond it kind of framed between the blur of its wings you can see one particular high peak in the distance that for whatever reason though everything else is dark in the night at the top of this one you can see a scale sitting up there a clear indication that this peak contains the hematician city of um of no wood and as you watch the wheatling suddenly drops out of your sight and you hear a splash and then you are suddenly back uh, in your own chair looking down and there's a little bloop coming out of the teacup as if something you know like a little cube of sugar has just been dropped in I think about this image for a little bit and as is Radford's custom, um, he considers not only the uh, the images of what he's what he's seen, but the feeling, the vibe of this, because the vibe tells a deeper story than what the eyes see. Uh, the vibe 
tells a deeper meaning than what the written word shows. What kind of vibe does he get from this? Make an insight check with advantage. Uh, make a vibe check. <laughs> 16. 16. Uh, you are... It's hard to articulate a vibe. Sometimes a vibe is something you can only feel. Um, sometimes a vibe feels like a color. Sometimes it feels like a noun. Sometimes it feels like a verb. This is not one of those situations. The vibe you're getting is very obviously a warning that is um, mixed in its motives. You're, you're getting the feeling this is like when someone really wants something, but they know it's bad for you. And so they're trying to warn you not to do it, but their heart's not in it. Um, they they want, you know, like, like it would be good for them, but bad for you. And they care about you, but also like they really want whatever the thing is. And so there, there are these warring emotions in the vibe and you can really feel them personified in the intensity of the, the Wheatling's wings where they're beating faster than normal and the jitter and the anxiety and the swerving left and right through the cliffs, these obstacles that were presented before this creature was able to lead you to what it wanted you to see. Um, and even in the end, it didn't finish its journey to no wood, right? It dove down somewhere in the rusty jungle. Um, and then with that plop of liquid, you were back. So that's kind of the vibe you get. So a bit of a bit of purpose and internal conflict. Um, with that, he takes the cup, two hands, sniffs it a little bit, and says, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like Earl tea. And he takes a sip of it. He takes a sip of the tea, and you open your eyes, and it's morning. And a happy sun is shining through the window. And Owlin, too, is just stirring and beginning to awake. The twins uh, are kind of stirring in that way that sleepy people having fever dreams do, where they, like, kind of stretch their legs and then roll over and are still asleep. Um, And it is the morning. quite restful much better than uh, a tent um, on sand uh, something about sand that doesn't quite feel I mean I can deal with ground uh, like sand dirt. sucks yes da- <laughs> sand is no fun to sleep on I was um, like I was like cool with it but after like a week nah <laughs> I had my fill sand yeah. can go kick rocks Please, please let sand kick rocks. Although, sadly, uh, due to the cycle of erosion, um, that means that the rocks would then become sand over time, which is just I mean, that's makes a perfect it much metaphor worse. for how terrible sand just is. Just makes it much worse. <laughs> well, um, Alan will look over at the twins and kind of say, ah, it, it seems as though they need uh, a bit more rest before we move on. Um, well, I think that... Uh, Ah, yes, sorry, I am still waking up. Um, our objective for today should be to find either a guide or some sort of uh, companion or companions to uh, 
guide us to the rusty jungle. Um, I believe that that should be our first goal because whether that's under the guy, I, I believe that we should probably still go under the guise of we're just an adventuring party trying to make a name for ourselves. We don't necessarily need to show our hand as far as what we're trying to do. Um, but I think that that should be the objective for today, and perhaps we should leave tomorrow if possible. Um, so I already have a pretty good lead. Ah, yes, yes. Did you? Um, I'm sorry. I know I conked out last night. Uh, pretty, pretty immediately. Um, did you? Talk to someone last night? Yeah, I went on a little stroll. Uh, I would definitely recommend taking a bath before we leave. Really cools you off, kid. Might be good for that burn you got on you. I was gonna say, but Alan will like him. Alan will like move a couple of his limbs and sand, more sand will just like fall <laughs> off of him. It's like, ah yes, that that is a good idea. You get going, you can get the scrubbing down and I'll talk while you're doing that, and then we'll head out here in a second. But there's a there's a lady. Uh, Ann, some something Ann. She's kind of like the the mama of this town. She knows everything and just kind of been everywhere. And uh, as best I can tell, she's probably our contact for getting some information about the Rusty Jungle. Okay. That yes, that sounds very promising. I also had a dream last night. Um, a, a dream. A- Oh, I didn't even know sand could get in there. Uh, a dream? Yeah, um, I used to do these kinds of meditations. And they haven't worked in a while, ever since uh, Kelnor disappeared. But I had a dream that was very similar to one of my meditations. And I think somebody's trying to contact me and tell me something um there was a a weedling that kind of flew over the town that we're in over the mountains and a very specific peak where the uh have you ever heard of the scale of stars i assume alan has as far as like his lessons in yeah alan was in the aos lore foundation tower so he's definitely heard of it roll a history check to see how much you know about it okay oh gosh i'm still rolling terribly that's a six total yeah this was earlier on in his studies and besides gomtes ran this tower not sitting here uh so you know (laughs) it was like a passing you know in like one of those one lectures about what uh zanir did so we could get to the rest of the season of curriculum on what gomtes did um and (laughs) the you you vaguely recall that like Zanir was making stuff and he had the Hematesians build this cool city and then he was like, I don't know, I want to put a relic there and he built this relic. It's like a big scale and that's all you really remember about it. It's like, I don't know, there's a big scale there now. Mm, uh, yes, vaguely. Um, I know that it's big and that it's in a city. Well, well that's most important about it. It's above the city. The, uh, the Hematesian city is below inside the mountain peak. Mm. But the scale of stars is up on top. Directly ah. above, almost, almost where the atmosphere gets thin. But it's uh, it's above Nowood, and that's hmm. where I and believe we're heading. Yes, that's uh, that's where we're trying to head. Um, as far as the most likely place that uh, our quarry will be. While we're while we're talking this out, um, Radford has been like 
sketching from memory the landmarks from his dream um, to try to at least narrow this down a little bit. But he goes into the whole and, and like divulges more of this about this uh, this Wheatling directing them to this mountain with the scales mm-hmm. on top. So I think that if anything, that's uh, we we might be able to ask more people about it. Maybe people have seen it. You know, if they have like one of those things that lets you see far away. Maybe we could use mm. that as a bit of a beacon to. As kind of like our guiding star, maybe, or something. I don't know. Perhaps we could definitely ask, especially if it is as prominent, um, you know, the geography that you viewed in your dream, if it's really that prominent of a peak that perhaps it could be seen for a, a ways and can be used to guide us. Um, it's it's very interesting that you would receive a dream uh, now as we're getting closer to uh, to where we are trying to go, because... Long ago, um, near the beginning of when uh, four guys met, I remember Zothkug received similar visions from the avatars telling him vaguely where they were. Uh, I wonder if that's a sign of... Was he in a special place? Um, not particularly. We were just at a dirt way station in, um, underground near Tumbleweb. It was not... Did he, like, touch something for it to happen, or...? I wasn't there, um, right as he had the dream. I was actually, I believe, in my, in my room while he was, I mean, he was in a chapel. Um, but it wasn't Hmm. even a particularly a chapel of... Kelnor, and I know that you both um, worship Kelnor, so maybe that is some sort of connection. I'm not well. Hmm. And Alan will pause at the fact that he said, like, you both worship Kelnor. Um, well, he worshipped Kelnor. Um, he probably still yes. does. You know that is a that is a great way to look at it. Um, However, anyways, yes, it, um, I wonder if this is a sign of us gaining progress or perhaps, or maybe we're uh, just a lot farther away from where we were before. What if this problem isn't as widespread and it's just only in the known world? I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, either way, it's greatly beneficial to us that you would have this, uh, this vision now as far as um, giving us a a guide as to where we need to go and that we are on the correct track. Um, Previously, I feel that that or the bread that I had last night was really off. I mean, it was some weird old lady just like giving it out to kids randomly. That is fair. That, that could be completely correct. Uh, We would have to perhaps uh, gauge the children's reaction to the bread, perhaps set up some control bread that we would give them um, <laughs> mm. in order to test that theory as to whether you are the only one that reacts that way to the bread. Remind me never to make these kind of suggestions and arguments again. I will remind you, yes. Um, in the future, however, uh, what I'm trying to say is that is a great guiding light to what we need to do today. Which is find someone to it guide. It at least us. makes sense, yeah. Yes. 
well, I say let's uh, go out into town and see if we can find someone. I'm not sure what the strategy would be, except that I have a lead on that um, young halfling lady that I saw yesterday. Um, but that's about it. Sure thing. Here's a towel. I'm going to leave the two little guys a note. And uh, <laughs> Radford's going to like scribble down a note for them and start packing his bag. Uh, yes, that, that sounds great. And Alan will dry himself off and get his two articles of clothing back on <laughs> and, <laughs> and get ready to go out with Radford. Okay. Uh, the two of you get ready for your day. Um, if you care to actually leave that note, you could put it in the, in the discord Radford, but it's, if it doesn't matter, then it doesn't have to matter. Like that's up to you. Um, I will do it. Okay. And you head downstairs where the, the pub is not bustling this morning. But there are, you know, a good number of people who are eating eating breakfast. It is dawn, um, and it is still late summer, so dawn's pretty early. You know what I mean? Like, it's maybe a half hour past dawn now because you've been talking. But there are some adventurers who are ready to seize the day. They're having a nice power breakfast, eggs, bacon, um, some, you know, roasted potatoes. And then they're they're going to head out and, and do their thing. And so now, whereas last night, all the adventuring companies were kind of full of swagger and, and sass and like having a, a good time and partying this morning, they're all a little more pensive that, you know, now they're facing the fact that like, OK, we're going to have to like go in the wilderness and do this thing now. And and you can rec- especially Alan, you recognize sort of a, a younger you in some of the faces as far mm. as like, you know, when you were first drafted into the army and you're stuck in the wild, like in a little camp with like seven other soldiers and you're like, okay, I guess now we're the only thing between each other and death, you know? Yep. And, and so you can kind of recognize this game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> game recognizes game. Um, yeah. Game recognizes game. So Wash and Jake, you see a couple people sitting there with some D twenties who are, you know, <laughs> um, that's right. <laughs> It's like, you're also playing a game. That's uh, crazy. Lonnie, smiling, standing behind the bar. Uh, good morning. Would you like some breakfast? Um, yes, that actually sounds very pleasant. Very what do you good. serve for breakfast? Yes. Uh, we have eggs and bacon. We have some steak left, just a little bit. And we have uh, some potatoes. For one wingle digit, you can fix yourself a plate of whatever you'd like. That sounds perfect. Exceptional. Uh, would you like some av- Radford? Radford has already flipped him a coin and is just like loading up this bowl with like fried eggs and bacon. Just like so much. It's Uh, so much. Lonnie catches the coin with extraordinary reflexes, but forgets that he was holding a tankard of something. And so it drops and spills on the floor. (laughs) You're like, oh, oh, dear me. And he, you know, puts the puts the two coins from you away and bends over to pick up whatever it was. He's cleaning up. Lonnie is like the living personification of muscle memory. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can take the uh, you can take the old man out of the dungeon, but you know, and he he continues kind of <laughs> wiping up the floor. Um, yeah. So you you sit down and you can see you know still slumped on the floor off to one side is Jahira, the the drunk person from the previous night. She's still kind of <laughs> laying there, um, catching you looking down at her. Another guest goes, "Yeah, Jahira's like this most mornings." Uh, he you know and he's he just goes back to eating his breakfast. Hmm. Ah. Uh. Alan will like kind of uh, nudge uh, Radford and also say, I, I forgot to mention, um, and she seems out of sorts now, but uh, this this lady here, she was also mentioning the scale that you saw. That, that, oh, really? So um, I'm not sure. Mm, I don't. I don't. Someone I, say scale? 
she looks up big bloodshot eyes has no idea where she is you said the scale yeah where's the scale of stars where is it oh it's not in like just one place the scale of stars it you know it's it it walks it moves around it's uh you know big big uh legs stands up walks around yeah i'm thirsty Lonnie, is the ale out yet? It's dawn, Jahira. Oh, wake me up when it is. She kind of rolls over. She kicks her feet up on the bench. And so she's still laying on the ground, but now her feet are kicked up. The feet are kicked up on one of the benches. Can I make a religion check to see if I recall anything about the scale of stars being mobile? Sure. Uh, I, I must ask, how much alcohol have you consumed in the last 12 hours? It is quite impressive that you have awoken and are still drunk. Oh, I've had all of it. I think. Do you mind if have I, I ask your do I mind if I ask your current body weight? Because you m- must be walking the line very close to what could kill you. Uh, Radford like gets right up next to him. And he's like, "Don't do that! Don't do that!" <laughs> it's just extremely interesting. No, just she looks down at herself and goes, "I don't know, I don't know." And she falls back asleep and starts snoring on the floor. Sorry, Radford. What was your religion roll? Ten. Ten. Uh, you have certainly never heard anything about the, the scale of stars having legs or moving around. In fact, the only event of any note that you, I mean, being a follower of Kelnor, it's not like your mm-hmm. knowledge of it is super thorough, but the only noteworthy event involving the scale of stars that you've ever heard about is that at one point a star fell and mm-hmm. balanced the scale the other way. And there were 10 years of like darkness and ravaging among the Xenian church. And then, um, Gomteus intervened and flopped the scale back the other way. And that's the only time you've ever heard about yeah. it. Yeah, I don't think something's going to be moving around if it was hit by a star and just tipped. You know, if it was on legs, it'd have got knocked clean off the mountain. That doesn't make any sense. Also, don't ever ask a lady about her weight. Like ever. For any reason. All of them are unacceptable. Even if they say it's fine, it's not. I, I'm not. simply asking as to record what amount of alcohol she had oh, also drank to make sure that she does not do I die, understand? or at least document this scientific anomaly. Do I understand that this <laughs> this fellow who doesn't even dress himself has been asking women about their weights? You turn it's around. You turn around and um, at the at another table next to you, extraordinarily well dressed with a monocle, a nice like collared shirt, very like it's like pressed <laughs> blue. Is, I think I know who this could be. <laughs> um, is is a a a learned looking fellow who uh, he's got a he's got a mug of water in his hand and he looks no. towards you and goes, "You, how could you make such an error of propriety?" Uh, I apologize. I know that uh, in social context, it comes across poorly, and that is a judgment that I did not make when I first asked it. However, I think it is quite an anomaly that this woman would be able to drink so much, pass out, still be drunk, and still be asking for more alcohol the next morning. Uh, Well, if she's seen the scale, if she's seen the scale, it's possible that some of that divine energy is just swirled on around her. Do you believe that she's actually seen... Ah, yes, that's what I was about to ask, that she's 
that you to believe that she's actually seen the scale. Um, well, it's it's hard to know. Do do you mind if I ask? You seem to be quite a well learned fellow. Uh, what is your name? My name is Lentok Silverhill, but you thought it was going to be something different. <laughs> My name is Lentok Silverhill, and I, I run the uh, <laughs> I run a meager trading post uh, in the in the downtown area here. But I spend a lot of my spare time cataloging books and reading and learning things, and and I have indeed read a bit of the speculation about this scale of stars. Uh, however, uh, I've never heard anything about it being mobile. I think that's probably a bit ridiculous. And he adjusts his, um, adjusts his little monocle and he says, uh, I think it's far more likely that it is a stationary object since it is supposed to be larger than several houses stacked atop each other. Uh, and so I feel like that would be, that would be unlikely. Uh, but if you want to know more, uh, I'll, I'll introduce you to my, uh, to my colleague here. And he leans back and goes, this is Dr. Dewey. And he pulls over another, there's a human next to him. He goes, Dr. Dewey's something of a local hero. He's invented a system of cataloging information that I've been recently learning from him. Uh, and it's, it's truly fascinating. He runs the library right next to my trading post. Alan's <laughs> eyes widen. That is quite fascinating. Uh, pleased to meet you, Dr. Dewey. D- do you mind Esteemed. if... Esteemed. If, if, I mean, Alan, like, looks back at Radford, kind of like a little kid asking permission to, like, go to the candy store. Uh, if it's okay with my colleague, I would love to spend some time in the library today if it were pertinent to you and learn more about this cataloging system. I would be delighted to teach you how to catalog information. Not everybody has the appreciation for the subtle art of cataloging information. Yes, it's it's very uh, it's very practical. Um, in fact, I used to study at the Great Library, the Great Floating Library, and um, I mean, not to not to brag, I always felt that the cataloging cataloging system there felt somewhat lacking. I would I would love to. Uh, ah, yes, I visited it once. I remember. I was there uh, for a short stay to learn how to play the didgeridoo. Didgeridoo Dewey, they called me. <laughs> that is what 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 an alliterative name. Uh, I would love to uh, stop by the library sometime today. Uh, my friends and I must. Uh, go looking for a guide who could take us uh, to and or through uh, the jungle around these parts. So we'll be doing that for a lot of the day. But um, after that, I would love to uh, to see what you have. Well, says Lentok Silverhill, re-entering the conversation. Yes. I don't advise taking her. And he points at Jahira, who is still snoring with her feet kicked up on one of the tables. Well, as uh, Dr. Dewey may know, sometimes... You shouldn't judge a book by its cover. <laughs> do I mistake myself or do we have a kindred spirit? <laughs> do we have a do we have a kindred spirit? <laughs> Holy crap, Josh! <laughs> I need to roll a new character. Redford's just dead. He's, he's just like He's like, what? The pun energy just washes over. Oh. Al- Alan will like beam and reach out a hand to shake it again and be like, I believe we do. We. And Alan will. <laughs> Shakes your hand, nods. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to add a tide of attention pool. We're having too much fun. Uh, okay. 
so you you finish your breakfast and you step out into the streets and <laughs> chat. Sorry, uh, what are we off to do? <laughs> um, uh, we we should ask. We should have asked them actually. Um, we should ask someone where the good place to find a guide is to hire a no, guide. No, so what we need to do actually, we need to find a map. There's a cartographer here in town. Ah. Name. Uh, oh. I don't know. Somewhere in here. Cartographer's name was Old Man Lonnie. Old Man Lonnie. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> am I am I mistaken? He's, he's, he's just like he's like so it's so flabbergasted. He's just like pointing <laughs> at, the, at the front counter. He's like, it's that guy. Like, uh, it has maps. Oh, you just need a map. Did you need more breakfast? <laughs> uh, uh, we actually, no, were actually. <laughs> Redford just ignores this this book trio, this library trio. I, I'm gonna work on a map. You do something with that. Ah, well, uh, Alan will like get all happy again and be like, "It seems so. We have more time to discuss your cataloging system." And Alan will talk to them about that great um (laughs) you walk back up to the bar where lonnie sees you coming and gives you that same beaming old man (laughs) smile yes did you need something hey lonnie you know what they said you can take the old man out of the dungeon but you can't take the maps out of his head am i right oh you are most correct sir yes i still have a few of my old maps around here and he turns around as if, and he, he picks up like a small, um, like envelope where like you might store a handful of parchment things, but he pulls a key out of it and turns it. And instead a whole like chunk of the wall folds down and you can see like reel upon reel of maps, um, that he's got laid out there. And he goes, yes, where were you hoping to adventure to? Old man Lonnie was once a very well-traveled sir. So, um, I'm going to describe, well, first, first we need one to, there's, there's a geyser in the uh, rusty jungle. Yes, the rusty geyser, yes. Oh, well, that adequately named. Yes. Um, we, we're going to need one potentially for there. And then, do you have, there's, there's a mountain peak, I'm not sure the name of it, but I could probably point it out on a map. Do you have, like, a larger over... Oh, yes, yes. one that I could... Yes, uh, let me find my topography maps. And he begins kind of moving through and, and kind of flipping, you know, like flipping back the, the posters mm-hmm. until he can find one of the right size. And he, oh, here we are. And he pulls out a, a map and kind of sits it on the table in front of you. And he goes, now, this map is not to be taken as being to scale. Uh, in fact, if you look in the chat in your Discord, you might find a version of it. Uh, this map is not meant to be taken to scale. It's more about how things relate to each other. We call this a point crawl map in the cartography community. Mm-hmm. And so it shows how you would go from one place to another place. And I think you'll find that it's quite comprehensive. Now, obviously, it doesn't go too far into the high peaks. They were dangerous even before the darkening. But after the darkening, it was oh. never safe to go there. None of the adventuring companies I've tried to hire have gone that far. In fact, if you do go that far and you're willing to draw a map of your travels for me i'll pay you a bit for it 
Um, but up to that point, you'll find that it's quite comprehensive. I've indicated where there are several of the uh, lower danger level dungeons that you might begin your adventuring career in, though you look to be someone who already knows your way around uh, that sort of environment. And so instead, if you venture into some of the wilderness there, you'll, you'll find some of the other more obscure uh, dangerous places. I felt it unwise to mark those with some of the, you know, the younger upstarts in the community. I didn't want them to go uh, gallivanting into something they weren't yet ready for, if you understand. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yes. I have a question for you. Yes. Um, th- what does this say? And he points to the words at the top of the blue colored area. Ah, that is the label of the region. It's called the Foothills. Uh, It is what you can see right here beyond our town. And he kind of gestures out one of the windows with a shaky old man finger and rising above the town wall. If you just keep going east, like where the mountains truly begin, Mm -hmm. like that first section that looked ominous and like carrion and is steep cliffs and like dangerous looking. That thing is the Foothills uh, on the map. Oh, yes, of course, the Foothills. I see it there now. Yes, The spelling was a little... I was just getting used to the handwriting, that's all. That's well, all. it's, no it's written deal. in common, and common can be challenging sometimes. I understand. It can. Yes. It can. Thank yes, you very of course. much. It can be very challenging. <laughs> yes. uh, from from across the room, uh, sitting in the little tree of books, uh, Alan, you suddenly see uh, Dr. Didgeridoo Dewey stiffen and go, did, did your companion just imply that common was a challenging language to read? Because phonetically speaking, common is one of the simplest languages in the in the, uh, the various uh, vocabularies of the creatures of Urida. In fact, if I were to list it myself, I would have said that it became common because of its simplicity. Uh, well, uh, if you actually did a little bit more uh, research as far as the origins of draconic language, uh, you would know that actually draconic is extremely different phonetically from common, and my companion uh, is extremely uh, smart and thinks great on his feet. However, because of his language of origin, uh, and because of his general occupation and what he's done for most of his life, he just simply hasn't mastered the language. Uh, I understand your well reasoned, says Dr. Dewey. <laughs> he like <laughs> he looks approvingly at you. Alan's gonna squint just a little bit, be like, I don't want to be with these guys if they're, like, freaking elitist <laughs> or something. And he's gonna, like, kind of be like, uh, yes, um, it's it stands to reason that uh, different viewpoints uh, often offer uh, adequate explanations for inconsistencies or reasoning that or reasons that uh, from your viewpoint or my viewpoint even uh, might be confusing. Um, but anyway, the idea of categorizing the books by numbers because of their author. Wow. And then by genre as well? Well, it greatly <laughs> simplified my cataloging efforts. And the camera whips back over to Radford at the bar. So, yeah, Draconic's pretty simple. It's pretty, you know, like, why use lot word when couple do trick? You know, it's like... Yeah. And so he's, he's just, like, scratching these, like, three-character Draconic words on top of the map to kind of, like, annotate oh, it in Draconic. there's no need to do that. And he takes the map back, and he says, I have one in Draconic. And he pulls a Draconic map out and hands it to you. Now all the writing on oh, it is in Draconic. Oh, superior. Yes, of course. Way better. Well, yes, I I just didn't know that you spoke Draconic, so I'm, you know, I, I cater to the lowest denominators a lot in this town. You understand? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The lowest common denominator. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I see what you've done there. 
<laughs> Very good. So how much for the maps? Uh, he turns around and checks a little price sheet, and he goes, I don't often sell the draconic one, sir. Four wingle digits, if you please. Uh, very, very good. I will go ahead and mark that off. Thank you. And he takes hey, the Alan, I got a map. Yes, that is, uh, that is extremely helpful. Wow. Dr. Dewey lids in and goes, now remember how you're going to label it, friend. And he just sits back, like, all accomplished, having taught you his decimal system. (laughs) He says, oh, I got a system. And uh, uh, (laughs) Radford dog ears one corner of the map. He's like, that's why I know it's the one that we're going to use now. Uh, And when we have as little maps as that, uh, that works. (laughs) (laughs) What are we doing? Is that it? Is that it? now he has the map that we need? Great. Yeah, I mean, unless um, you guys are doing anything else. Alan, are you um, going thanks, to the Lonnie. library or are you just leaving with him or what's what's going I, on here? Alan will talk to, uh, we'll say to Dr. Dewey and the guy with the longer, less fun name. Lentox uh, Silverhill. <laughs> yeah, that one. <laughs> um, Alan, uh, do you mind if I confer with my colleague briefly and then come get back to you about uh, our plans for the rest of the day? But of course, Lentok uh, takes his little monocle out and, you know, tucks it into a shirt pocket. And then he begins discoursing about something fancy with uh, Dr. Dewey. Okay. Uh, Alan will go over to Radford and uh, he'll also take a look at the map. And um, just, uh, uh, yes, uh, that that looks perfect. Does it line up with what uh, you remember from your dream? Does it line up with what I remember from my dream? It does. In fact, make a history check. It does. And in fact, I'm going to make a history <laughs> check real quick. <laughs> Could I make a case for religion? Sure. Good. Because my history is negative one and my religion <laughs> is plus six. <laughs> 15. <laughs> <laughs> I can see why you cared if you got a nine on the back. Well, but like, so, so his knowledge is like of this kind of stuff. It's it's scale of stars and whatnot. Yeah. I figured it'd be more. Religious uh, well, and the dream anyway. is a religious experience that he yeah. hasn't had in a while. So I'm sure it would be something that like lodged pretty heavily in his mind. Uh, what you're yeah. able to put together is that where that wheatling you were following vanished from view and you heard it like plop into your teacup actually mm-hmm. appears to have been directly over the rusty geyser. I don't know if there's a conclusion to draw from that or not, but mm. seems like maybe the liquid splash you heard wasn't your tea. Interesting. I is am that, noting that down so I don't forget it later. Is that conveyed to Alan? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll let him know that. Okay. And I'll, and I'll even translate the map for you. <laughs> uh, uh, I appreciate that. Um, however, Alan will like pat the the rod of intelligence at his hip. Uh, I I can read it. I actually don't know. If oh, you can. that's fancy. Comprehend languages? Isn't that just for hearing? Mm-hmm. I think it's everything. Oh yeah, you also understand any written language you see, but you must be touching the surface on which the words are written. It takes about one minute to read any one oh. page of text. Alan will say, uh, uh, "No, no, no worries." And Alan will like touch the the page mm-hmm. and. Well, that's um, good to know. Yeah, because he only knows Celestial in common, so that is actually helpful. Um, well, uh, then, after understanding the map, Alan will, and then hearing that from Radford, uh, I, I am 
growing quite tired of these underwater escapades regarding um, rescuing avatars. However, um, if it must be done, it must be done. I have an observation and a a proposition. Ooh, look at me using the big words. (laughs) This is not your fault, even though it kind of is, but it's also all of our fault. But the desert was kind of a fiasco. We kind of went yes. into it unprepared. I, I would agree you know? with that. I would agree with that statement. Now that we have a map here and we kind of have an idea of what's coming up ahead, I think maybe we should use the rest of the day to gather as much information as we can and prepare for this trip a little better. Um, I was What I was going to ask you is whether you believe it's still pertinent to find some sort of guide or other adventurers to come with us mm. now that we have the map. Um, I th- believe that it could go either way in the fact that now that we have the map and that you have had this dream, I trust you and I to interpret the map and be able to follow it. Um, however, I could understand, judging by how deadly it sounds like this jungle is, that having more help may be good. Um, well, that's also putting all of our eggs in one basket. You know, if that guide becomes a liability and they get taken out, then we're kind of up a creek. Even if we have the map? Well, I mean, if we have the map, then why do we need a guide? But if we're, we're going to, like, take a guide for their knowledge, you know, then if the guide's gone, then we don't have that. If we spend some time just getting the knowledge, then all of us have it, regardless of what happens to us. Um, that is fair. Um, in that case, uh, what I would like to do, or perhaps what I think may be best use of my skills would be, and this is not because I just want to check out how his decimal system, cataloging system works. uh, I don't know what that is. Well then good. I don't need to justify this to you. Um, (laughs) I would like to go to Dr. Dewey's library and see if I can research all I can about this jungle that we will be entering. Does that sound I mean, like... You're the, you're the boss. That's fine. Uh, that, great. Sorry. I'm not... Um, I'm not used... I guess... Yes. Great. Perfect. I'm not used to being <laughs> the boss, but yes. Um, well, what... That's what, good. See, humility is a good characteristic for a boss. <laughs> I... Uh, uh, I appreciate that. Um... What would, what would you like to do for the rest of the day to prepare? Okay, well, I heard about these things called uh, Tinkali. They're kind of like these scorpion people. Does Big Alan know about and Tinkali? and people uh. bodies. So I was going to ask around town, maybe beat some bushes. You know, if you could get some information from your books and, and whatnot, mm. and I could kind of glean some information from the townspeople. That's a Maybe great, we could cover both sides of this and yes, get a good, well-rounded information. Yes, yeah, Alan, you can make great. a history check with disadvantage now, or you can go try and find something to read about them and make a history check with advantage later. Okay. He's going to... The three things he wants to research are the jungle itself, the Tinkali, and the scale of stars. Those are like the three. And okay. the geyser. So I guess four things. I don't know. If, if that takes a lot of time, I guess that's fine. That probably will take, take him most of the day to research all those things. Although it's very yeah. easy to navigate the library. This is true. Uh, so... Uh, and Radford, you said you're basically hitting the streets. Yeah, I'm gonna hit the streets, and uh, I think I I think I want him to focus on 
the Tinkali from a from a rumors standpoint. You know, like for, for yeah. people who have like con- confronted them, um, he wants to kind of try to weed out bad information that way. Um, he's also curious about the geyser as well. But then he'd like to hit up, uh, what is her name? Chide, Chide Ann? Chide yeah, Chide Ann. Chide Ann. Um, and just, he, he's curious about the interconnected, the interconnectivity of the dungeons in this area. And if they feed into the Underdark, if they have, because he knows Hematicians have been around here. Yeah. And they're subterranean and they tunnel. And the Hematicians have been connected to the Underdark. And he's curious if there is any benefit of maybe making this trek underground as opposed to above ground. Okay. Um, let's do let's do Redford on the street. Then we'll do Alan in the library. And then we'll do Redford with Anne. Um, okay. And that's how we'll, we'll kind of land Redford the session Redford on here. the street is my favorite TV show that then went viral <laughs> on TikTok. Yeah, it's Redford also on the street is my favorite section, like like little subsection of Sesame Street. Nice. I think Radford on the street is probably one of the Jebediah Peppermint Chronicles. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> once, so, once they meet. Yes. Yeah. Once they meet. So Radford, you hit the streets and you're listening for rumors about a couple different things. So you can pick which one you want to learn about first and then you can roll an investigation check. Okay. Um, but um, but um, he's not really good at investigation. Could I make a case for like a charisma based skill? Sure. Maybe you're trying to persuade people to tell you about stuff instead of trying to get the clues yourself since you're interacting with people. So how about we use, or could I make like a, a charisma or, or like, like a wisdom based, uh, investigation since it's kind of like street knowledge. To, to I'll give you like two options. The information. I'll give you two options. You can make a wisdom-based um, investigation check because um, that does make sense. You're you're asking for like experiential knowledge of them. You're trying to find people who have encountered the Tinkali and learn about them from those people. Or you can make an insight check, um, basically because everybody in this town has heard of the Tinkali and you're trying to weed out good rumors from bad. Okay. Um, either of those you can do, and both of them are rolled normal, no advantage or disadvantage. Okay, I'll do the insight. Great. Oh, that's terrible. I rolled a two. Eight. Eight. Uh, as you venture out onto the streets of Hembleyhu, you are greeted by plenty of polite, pleasant creatures who live in the town going about their daily business. You're asking a couple questions about the Tinkala, and you get a variety of replies. Um, you know, an old lady pushing two of her grand creatures in a little push uh, push stroller stops and says, oh, don't talk about them in front of the children. The Tinkali are beastly things and just continues on her day. Uh, you hear from another person, a blacksmith who's hammering away on an anvil and he goes, Tinkali, they talk about them like they're scary, but I'll tell you what, you hit a Tinkali with one of these and he holds up a war hammer that he's making and they're going to be flattened into the ground just like anything else. Cling! And he continues doing his work. 
you talk to somebody else, uh, maybe a, a member of the town militia who's kind of not working today, but he's got that bearing that you can kind of detect. Like you're walking like a soldier, um, especially after walking with Alan for so long. And he's sitting on his front porch. You kind of approach and ask him some questions, do some pleasantries. And eventually you get to the point where he goes, yeah, the big thing about the Tinkali is that they're like strategists, you know, like they can communicate with one another and coordinate tactics. So it's not like you're fighting like a wild beast. It's like a planned ambush or a raid. And that makes them a little more dangerous. That's why we've had to shut the gates at night, you know, because if they come in raiding and we've only got three people in the gatehouse, like, you know, what the heck are we? We're a volunteer militia, mostly. Um, You talk to another person uh, who is standing outside the, uh, the trading post and they're trying to sell their dungeon loot. They're having an argument with a member of the town militia about whether they can sell their dungeon loot out front. But they're like, but nobody ever sees what we bring back because they put us in the back corner of the dungeon store. And he goes, well, if you brought back good wares, then this wouldn't be a problem for you. But you're trying to sell trinkets and knockoffs. And he goes, this is not a, this is a genuine amulet. There hasn't been a genuine amulet for three years. And they're having this back and forth. You interrupt them and he goes, Tinkali? What do you want to know? No, I haven't fought the Tinkali. I go to the close dungeon man i'm all about turning a profit quickly you talk to somebody else and they're telling you about how uh tinkali you know those are desert creatures you don't have to worry about the tinkali anywhere east of here in the mountains you won't run into any tinkali and then you talk to another woman who's like the tinkali are mostly mountain dwelling creatures i've heard i'm pretty sure that you won't run into them if you cross the desert to the west but if you go up into the mountains you're definitely going to run into the tinkali so you got to be really careful about how you tread someone else is like yeah man the thing about the tinkali is they've got these crazy senses of smell so it's like if you can mask your scent like they can't track you at all and you have just like all these different back and forth you talk to a a spunky young adventuring company who are taking the day off but they've got like the you know the weathered armor and the scars to prove that like they're out there doing it even if they're low level they're like they're in the game um you ask them about the Tinkali, and one of them goes, yeah, the Tinkali ambushed us this one time, but it was okay, because, you know, Phyllis over here, she took care of it, and Phyllis holds up a trusty, uh, like, brace on her arm and goes, yeah, with a tower shield, the Tinkali can't get past it. They don't use any kind of ranged weapons, so they just run towards you with the stingers, and it's like, well, if you can block a stinger, what are they going to do? And the three of them look at each other, and they cut them down, and they're, like, partying, and they keep going down the street. Um, and so you get all this different information about the Tinkali. You're pretty sure most of it is true. The only thing that's hard to differentiate between is whether they're desert dwellers, mountain dwellers, or both, um, and what their natural habitat would be. You just can't get a, a straight answer on that. Everybody seems to have a different opinion on it. Mm. Um, Owlin, you're spending some time in the library, and you're looking the up a library. couple different things. So pick what you want to research first and roll an investigation for me. Uh, Alan would like to research the jungle itself. The rusty jungle. Yeah. And what is he rolling? Investigation. Investigation. He's good at that. And with a 19, that's a 26. A 26. Ooh, Alan. It's so easy to find books here. (laughs) (laughs) He's gonna. He's like. He like walks in and he like kind of like takes just like scans and he like turns to Doctor Dewey and he says, "I." love 
your work. And he just immediately <laughs> goes to exactly where he needs to go. The great thing about my work, Dr. Dewey says to himself, as you've already run off to look at a book, <laughs> is that it helps you get to everybody else's work. And then he goes over to a little desk and sits back. He, unlike uh, Lentox <laughs> he, Silverhill... Alan, Al- Alan hears that on the way to the bookshelf he's going to, and he just goes, I know! <laughs> and he's just like... <laughs> a little so gnome excited. pokes their head around the corner, and they're like, this is a library! Keep your voice down! <laughs> Disappear back around the corner again alan finds a number of books on the rusty jungle uh you learn a lot of things about it since the late second era the rusty jungle has been a sort of proving grounds for adventuring companies after the hematicians abandoned no wood and the rusty mountains altogether the remains of their civilization is what have drawn all these young scrappy pioneers to hembley and other towns like it scattered around the foothills of the rusty mountains and what brings them into adventure hoping to discover items of value build a little renown sometimes you get studious folk like architects uh who are just trying to learn about the history of the hematician people um in fact it's so popular that the 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 entire guide trade that exists used to revolve around just the rusty jungle the rest of the mountains are interesting but like the jungle itself is known to be home to all sorts of interesting creatures um all sorts of wild dangers that like you're gonna get the you know adrenaline junkies will go there just for the thrill of almost dying um, it's, it's very difficult to traverse land. The tree canopy is said to be so thick that even in broad daylight, there's no light in the jungle itself. Um, or the only light you'll find is from bioluminescent insects, uh, which is a word you see because you're using these well-researched books. Um, nice. the, uh, the, the geyser, the rusty geyser is a centerpiece of the rusty jungle and, and next to it, geyser falls. Um, and geyser falls are, uh, kind of an iconic site for any adventurer who began their career in these Southlands. Um, it, it's like these really slick cliffs that give way to caves underneath all created by the corrosive power of the geyser. So back in back way back in the history, Zanir creates the hematicians and the hematicians needed a water source in their mountains. So Zanir created like an infinite geyser. He snaps his fingers and boof, water begins erupting from it. But somewhere along the line, some spat between the gods resulted in that geyser becoming corrosive. And so the hematicians, these rock people, were suddenly infected by this sort of rust plague almost that ate away at their insides. It was a huge problem for them, massive amounts of deaths. And um, although it was eventually purified by Alexite, an avatar of Zanir, um, he had to sacrifice himself in the process. And once it was purified, the water there is drinkable. It's clean. There are fish that, you know, live in the falls or whatever, but there's already this huge spider web in the mountain of just corroded out caves and tunnels and things. Some of them go nowhere. Some of them go places, but it's very strongly advised against for adventurers because of the current of the water. Like it's just so fast moving that it's really difficult on those wet slick cliffs to, to climb back out again. And if you get inside and you get sucked under, there's all sorts of sharp rocks you could get, you know, bashed against and whatever. So, um, it's a site that a lot of people visit, but very few people explore. Uh, lots of people like to stand at the top and marvel at the power of nature. Uh, not very many creatures are willing to go down there and explore it. However, you in your library, that's very thorough with all of its options. You see one, um, architects report on the rusty jungle. And this architect theorized that the 
only reason that the geyser falls have not overflown is that somewhere in those corroded caves, there must be a connection to a bigger cave network. Um, there must be some tunnel network under there that is wide enough, deep enough, long enough that even an infinite geyser does not overflow. So that's what you learn about geyser falls. What would you like to research next? Sorry, taking notes. No worries. Um, take your time. Um, we got the jungle. We got the falls. Next, Alan would like to look for stuff about the scorpion guys. Ah, the Tinkali. Yep. Go ahead and roll a Alrighty. another investigation. I'm going to add a die to the tension pool. Just uh, It's a long that day. That is a 16. Well, that's the sixth die in the tension pool, so I'll have to clear that out after we finish this reading. Um, okay, so uh, Alan, with a 16, there's a little bit less written about the Tinkali, but then they're not architectural marvels. You know, they're not, they're not historical sites of importance. Um, the Tinkali are a... Let me... I'm going to actually read you the description of them so that you get, like, a okay. full... Um, understanding of of what the tinkali are uh let me pull that up in my notes here they are indeed like humanoid scorpion almost like hybrid creatures uh so that part is is definitely accurate is here. there is there an illustration that alan finds in the yes books? alan finds an illustration of it almost looks like if a scorpion were made with gold-plated outer armor and then it's like a centaur where like scorpion body torso of a human standing upright um, and it too is, is got rather than skin on the torso. It's almost like, um, like, like a, a steel breastplate or whatever, but made out of that same kind of gold natural armor material. They're usually pictured with spears. If with any weapons at all, you don't see any indication that they use ranged weapons. Um, and the books that you read very definitively describe them as, um, hardy creatures who naturally like to live in the desert but are not averse to any habitat, especially if they're, you know, like if they're pushed there for their survival or to find food, whatever, like they'll go where the food is. Um, Tinkali are carnivorous. They only eat other creatures. Um, they are fierce hunters and they organize in clans that have like a structure. Like there's a leader of the clan and he can be reasoned with to convince the clan not to attack you. And you, you know, like it's, it's that sort of situation. However, reasoned with is in air quotes because, um, the the idea of reasoning with a creature that's motivated exclusively by finding food is usually like you have to convince them somehow that there's better food elsewhere or that letting you live will get them access to to good food you know like it's all about food for them it's not like appeal to your morals like they don't really have uh -huh. any morals um so that's the the tinkali um they are a uh they're, they're nomadic clan-based creatures and there are typically like 10 to 15 warriors in a clan and then however many younglings, um, any bigger than that and they usually end up infighting and splitting into to, to new clans. Okay, the other thing with the illustration, Alan would like to think back on the giant scorpions that they found, that they encountered in the desert or the, did those happen, like when he thinks about that, what is he like... Oh, those were actually Tinkali. That's crazy. Or is, were those just giant scorpions? Those were Tinkali. Oh, okay. Yep. But just in the blur and the dust and the speed and whatever, you weren't able to 
um, recognize them as, as anything other than a scorpion. Okay. Um, cool. Well, then Alan will <laughs> keep a note of that. Uh, and um, if he feels like he's like kind of found all he needs to find on Tinkali, the last thing he'll research is the scale of stars. Okay. Uh, roll a... Um, you can roll investigation with disadvantage or you can roll a normal religion. You'll roll a normal religion. 15. 15. Uh, the scale of stars, historical artifact created by Zanir in the first age. Um, and it didn't really get much use until the second age. The, uh, scale of stars sits at the top of the Hematitian city of no wood. And, um, basically as like a, um, like a, like a centerpiece or an anchor piece of that city, you know, it's like the big thing at the top of the mountain. And, um, it, it has only been used twice in history. Once when a star fell out of the sky and smashed into one side of it, flipping the scales from even to unbalanced to one side and Zanir, um, the, the, the church of Zanir and the world in general faced 10 years of just deep darkness and, um, the metaphorical darkness, uh, as far as like Zanir became sort of like an evil God for a while. And, um, at the end of that decade, Gamteus intervened and sent another star that smashed into it. Gamteus, God of the stars threw another star down, smashed into it, switched its alignment the other direction. And Zanir's behavior didn't become good. It just wasn't quite as bad. He became kind of neutral. Um, scholars and theologians have argued since the first age over what, what the correlation is between the scale of stars and Zanir's behavior. If there is any, um, there's not really any strong indication that like other than the, the, the coincidence of the scale being hit and Zanir becoming evil for 10 years. Like they don't really know for sure that those two things are related. So there's a lot of debate about what the scale of stars actually does, but you do see an interesting rumor that as a divine artifact created by one of the gods, the scale of stars might be like the avatars in that it might be imbued with its own divine energy. Um, and although the scholars weren't thinking about this at the time, you are able to make the, the leap that that potentially means that like the avatars, there may be some well of divine power in it that still exists now that can be tapped into or channeled or used in some way. Um, and that's what you learn about the scale of stars. Great. Now I'm going to clear the tension pool. Two complications. Uh, we'll start with Owlin and then we'll jump back to Radford. Uh, Owlin, you are looking through all these books and you know, your, your eyes aren't quite glazing over, but you have that feeling when you've looked at pages for too long, where like the words start to swim in front of your mind uh, or in front of your face. And you, you just have a little bit of trouble focusing and you're looking down and trying to figure out what to, what to do next. And you turn for just a brief moment and look outside the window, uh, like trying to let your eyes look at something far away, you know, like just to just to relax them a little bit. And instead, what you see outside the window is you see with a crash, uh, a window across the street breaks, a chair flies out of it. And shortly after that, you see a creature fly out of it. Um, it looks like a uh, like a like a full grown adult hematitian has been flung through this window and lands on the street 
uh, you look out the window and the, that hematician is not moving. Uh, you don't see any indication that that creature is still alive. Um, you see eventually a small crowd starts to gather around them. Uh, a couple of members from the town militia show up and, you know, maybe they rush into the house. Uh, I don't know if Alan's going to interact with this scenario at all or if he's got too much going on. Uh, but Alan will, will set his book, put his book carefully back where it was in the very nice catalog um, and go out. Uh, he, if, he, if he encounters, um, like, uh, Dewey or the other guy on his way out, he'll just tell them, like, uh, that he's, he's going to be out for a second. Um, and he'll, he'll try to get a better look at what's going on or ask one of the town militia what's going on. Yeah, so Alan kind of steps into the circle of onlookers. There's a handful of them looking. Um, and you, you kind of hear the whispers in the crowd. Is he dead? I think, I think he's dead. I, th- I, think, I think he got murdered. And, you know, people are trying to figure out what happens. Eventually, you push your way to the front of the small crowd. Um, and the, the hematician is on the ground in front of you. He's, he's quite dead. Um, and you can, you know, use a skill to try and assess how if you care to. There are a couple members of the town militia there. One of them is like, all right, everybody, like, let's, let's clear out. We're going to get the dock in here and, and, you know, try and get this taken care of. We'll, we'll get everything cleaned up. Um, and another guy is talking in hushed tones to someone at the staircase that leads into the house. You know, like they're just starting the investigation and we're going to look for clues. Um, you don't overhear much of their conversation, but you do hear at one point them raise one of them raises his voice and goes, I did check for anybody else inside. There's nobody in there. No open doors, no other broken windows. I don't know where they went. Um, and that's what you hear. Um, Alan will approach one of the, one of the, uh, like militia that is like seems to be one of the investigators and just say um uh i was in the library across the street and happened to be looking out the window uh when i just wanted to report that um i saw this this man um fall not well it looked as though he was perhaps propelled or thrown out the window um i think if i remember correctly Something hit the window, a chair, I believe, hit the window first and was sent out the window. And then this this man um, after that, um, the the militia member is taking notes in front of you. And he goes, right, right. And uh, what's your um, what's your party name? Where are you staying? Uh, I am with four guys, ventures and vibes. And we are staying at the what is it called? The horse and tankard, the sword and the, the sword, sword and flagon. Yep. Basically the same thing. The sword, the sword and flagon. Horses and swords do have a lot in common. Yeah. Uh, all right. Sword and flag. And yeah, Lonnie's place. Yeah. Know that one. Um, and he says, great. We'll be in touch if we have any other questions for you. Thanks so much for reporting. And he kind yes, of folds of up the parchment and tucks it away. Uh, while uh, Alan is there left yeah. to contemplate the mortal condition, Radford is, uh, Radford, you are on your way. You've been, you've been on the streets. You've been asking people about the Tinkali all morning. Um, is there anything else you were going to ask for street rumors about, or are you headed to see Cheetah Ann next? Um, I think he's going to go see Cheetah Ann. Okay, great. So you arrive late morning um, outside the uh, the small temple to Zanir, uh, which turns out to be where uh, Cheetah Ann lives and works. Um, you can smell a little bit of incense burning, and you step inside. The temple is is mm-hmm. fairly plain. You know, this is not a rich town, so it's not like it's one of the more elaborate temples that you might have seen in the big cities or something like that. It's just more of like a simple, you know, uh, wood floor with a little carpet rolled over it. 
there are a couple of benches for people to sit on if they want to and some things like that. You see an altar at the center of the building. Um, and off to one side, washing her hands in a little basin is a halfling who she's got like a little brown hood up. And so you can't see much of her body from, you know, where she is, but she turns around when she sees you coming and you can see she has kind of like a friendly round face. She looks towards you and says, ah, hello. Um, can I, can I help you? Do you wish uh, to perform some rituals or, or how can I help? I'm like chilling stuff. Good vibes to you. Oh, Hello. And- I was uh, passing through, and I wanted to maybe talk to you a little bit about the scale of stars. The scale of stars. Yes, a fantastic relic, a creation of Zanir himself. Uh, What do you wish to know? Well, um, is there anybody else in here? Right now, it's just Chida Ann. I'll take my sandals off and and walk in barefoot. Um, the carpet Bradford is like pleasantly a- plush, despite the fact that the town is is pretty poor. Bradford feels a little uh, like he kind of knows what to do when worshiping Kelnor, but is just trying to like suss out the vibe in here and try to kind of merge into that as much as possible like he's trying to be respectful yeah yeah roll persuasion um persuasion is the D five skill used for determining social etiquette i learned a couple days ago Ooh. so yeah roll persuasion <laughs> that is a 17 a 17 you are able to uh kind of glean the the rules of composure just from looking at the you know at the space and kind of inferring how one might use it you know, Radford's been around a while. He's seen a lot of different methods of worship and been through temples and stuff like that. Um, the barefoot was a good call. Um, the nice carpet doesn't have a speck of dirt on it, which is obviously because people aren't wearing their shoes on there. And it probably also gets cleaned regularly because you probably have some barefoot adventurers. Um, and you can tell from kind of the, the layers of dust that coat the benches that, um, the benches are probably for where people who are not followers of Zanir would sit. It seems like probably, um, Xenians would sit cross-legged on the carpet, um, from like the little, um, kind of bumps in the carpet and the, uh, altar itself has an incense dish on top of it rather than like a place for, for full offerings. And so it seems like the ritual is more about prayer to Zanir um, than it is about actually making a sacrifice. Although, obviously, you don't know the actual religious customs. Sure. But in terms of etiquette in the space, it seems like barefoot is the only consideration you need to make and maybe not sitting barefoot on the... or sitting cross-legged on the carpet. Like, you know, the benches are probably mm. for you. Um, and and that's pretty much what you learn. Gotcha. As he, as he kind of picks up on that, he was... He's like, uh... He was going to sit down cross-legged because that is his custom, but out of out of respect, he is kind of like awkwardly just standing. Um. She she <laughs> um, pulls a small feather brush out of her robe and says, "Here, here!" And she brushes off a little piece of one of the benches for you. She says, "Sit, sit. Let us talk." Mm, yes, thank you. Of course. I wanted to talk to somebody who. Um, was a holy person because I had a dream recently about um, one whom I suspect may be Du Bumblefoot. 
she goes completely still listening to you talk. Um, and he'll go ahead and reiterate the the vision that he had, um, and he'll explain that you know he's a follower of Kelnor, and is you know in these trying times, would like to kind of work together with somebody of another faith to see if there's anything that he might be missing. Well, when it comes to being thorough, there is no better church than Zaneer's. Uh, we, we are the church of order. Um, and she sits down and pulls out a, a small kind of parchment, um, or not parchment, like a small little slate, a little chalk slate, um, and she says, now let's make a list of what we know. And she begins writing out the details of your dream and kind of thinking about them. Um, and this is not with the studious efficiency that Laredith behaves. Um, this is not like the Awarans who are looking for a conclusion to draw or a way to innovate. This is like um, someone diligently going through a process that they already know, if that makes sense. And so she's writing out everything that we know so she can start with the facts. And then she kind of sits that down and she says, I do believe it's possible that you've received a vision from Du Bumblefoot, though, of course, uh, I myself have never had such an encounter with Du Bumblefoot um, when the avatars were about. Uh, this was more of Alexate's region than Du's, and so we would hear from him before and then after his passing, rest his soul. Uh, we mostly just continued with our rituals, and if there was something necessary, then you know it would, it would come to us in, in its own way. Um, but I do believe it's possible that you are receiving a vision. What's interesting about that is that I don't know how the visions that we used to receive would follow channels of divine energy. Uh, think of it like this. And she kind of builds a little illustration for you out of some small marbles that have been polished in the little water basin, almost like, um, prayer stones, you know, like the really smooth river pebbles. Mm -hmm. And she kind of builds a little model for you. And she says, so our plane is like this. And she sits one pebble on the center of the altar, right in the middle of the burning incense with little coils of smoke fluffing up around it. And the, uh, the, the outer planes or the, the residences of the gods are, are out here. And she arrays some of the stones outside of the incense dish so that they are um, resting on the altar, but they are not like touching the incense or connected in any way to the smoke. When we interact with the gods, it typically works like this. And she waves a hand through the smoke and you can see that just a few tendrils of the smoke kind of wrap around some of the different pebbles as she blows the air past them. And so in this way, what you're seeing are the threads of energy that connect all things. But something went wrong with those threads a few years ago in an event we called the darkening. And we, found ourselves cut off and she rests a hand flat on the incense dish and puts out the incense stick. And so now there's lots of smoke, but it's only going straight up. She says, mm -hmm. all of those connections are there, but they're not attached to anything. And you watch as the single coil of smoke kind of curls upwards into the air. Those, those connections, those threads, I believe they are looking for something. And so it's possible that you stumbled into the right place you know like position wise or or maybe something about your demeanor or your composure was in some way correct for connecting to those um and if that were to happen at the same place or the same time i should say as it happened to an avatar i see no reason they could not communicate with you in that way 
but it seems very unlikely and coincidental. I would not expect it to happen again. And if it does, please come come back and tell me about it. But the the scale of stars, which you asked about when you first arrived, I suppose it's possible that the scale is acting as a medium, perhaps in the absence of any of the outer planes to connect to. And she tosses another stone onto the incense dish. And as it falls through the, the layer of smoke, the downward force creates this spiral that just spins in a circle around the two river stones. She says, I suppose it's possible that there is a connection like this happening where you are, it, it's almost cyclical. There's just something of the divine essence here for the threads to grab onto. And so perhaps the scale is acting like I don't know if I have the words for this. Perhaps the scale makes it bigger, um, makes it easier for things in its area to connect, if you will. Like a like a tree planted in good soil. Yes. Interesting. Well, you said your name was uh, Chide Ann, right? Chide is my title. Anne is my name. Ah, very nice to meet you. Would you prefer I call you Anne or Chide? Whatever is convenient for you is just fine for me. Well, thank you, Anne. I'm Radford. I am but a humble new follower of Kaldor. And, uh... Just trying to find my place. Trying to find Kay. You wouldn't have... There's a lot of mountains around here. You wouldn't happen to be aware of any observatories around here, would you? I wouldn't know of any, but the Hematitians were a long and storied civilization that existed first, among other things, though the dwarves of Udril will contest that. Uh, they arrived in the same era. Um, the... The Hematitians may have constructed observatories, um, mm. but if you're if you're looking for things flying through the air, uh, that hasn't happened for a few months now. Uh, there used to be strange creatures flying overhead um, in the evenings, usually just as the sun would set and the moon would rise, so that most of their time in the sky they were either over the darkness or they would be obscured because you were looking into the light. And I assume that these are creatures of dubious intent, but they never stopped here or troubled my people. And I have been entrusted with this village of Hembelihu. So I did not see fit to step outside of my place in the order of things. Understood. Understood. Anne? Yes? If there is one thing that you could have above any other in the world one wish what would it be? she sits back to think about it I think I would wish for the wall around this town to be constructed of stronger material so that less people were needed overnights to tend it. Something more reliable than simple wood. 
I see. Okay. Well, the vibe in here is very wonderful. Thank you for letting me share in it. Of course. And he will um, reach into his pack and give her some special incense that he uses in his worship of Kelnor. Cool. She very graciously accepts it with a little bow of her head. And you can see that she sets it aside, not like, oh, I'm putting this over here, but she, you mm-hmm. know, there's like a spot where all the incense goes and she wraps it in like a certain kind of cloth and sets it among the other incenses that are, that are kind of laid out on that ledge. Good luck to you. Well, thank you. Good vibes to you as well. I hope to see you again someday. I'm sure we shall. One can hope, because this jungle kind of sucks. And he walks out the door. (laughs) She's left wondering, what jungle? (laughs) This isn't a jungle. Uh, Okay, you step outside and your tension take your your complication takes hold you step outside and you hear a voice somewhere down the street yell stop thief thief red brands and they rush around the corner um and you you see three people run around the corner they are clearly some kind of adventuring guild they have little golden cloaks on and they're you know they've got their weapons and they are chasing someone who is wearing a uh, red robe that looks a bit like a storied group called the red brands but it's clearly homemade um you you like radford is a well-traveled guy he's heard of Mm -hmm. the red brands this is yeah. not a red brand. This is someone who like thought their cloak would be cool. Um, and, but they're they They are running with arms full of some kind of still dusty from the dungeon. It was reclaimed from loot. Uh, they're just rushing down the street uh, towards you and chasing them again are these, these three um, golden golden robed uh, adventurers uh, running after them. He's running towards me. Yeah. Running straight towards you. Not like to fight you. Like he's just running away from yeah, them, yeah, yeah. but you, you are in the path. I, I kind of walk out in front of him, make a, a bit of an imposing stance. And I say, whoa there, whoa there, pal. Where are you going? Uh, uh, here. And he tosses something at you um, and hangs a right and like ducks off into a little alley. Um, the thing he tosses towards you, your monk reflexes allow you easily to catch. You find yourself holding a sort of polished bowl of, uh, silver, you know, like a fancy, fancy worked bowl of some kind. Uh, two of the gold robed adventurers run around the corner. Another one runs up to you. <sighs> oh, can I, please? Cause just, he stole, we were in dungeon. It was reclaimed, uh, <clears throat> dwarven, uh, bowl, uh, need go get, uh, can, can I have any reaches out to like, try and take it back from you? Who are you? Uh, we, like. we are, <clears throat> where are my manners? We're the rumble cloaks. Uh, and he kind of steps back and does like a little elaborate flourish. That's clearly well rehearsed. He's, you know, like a little up and coming adventurer, a little 
um, rehearsed flourish of his cloak that tosses it aside and you can see that on the inside of the cloak there's like a little sigil that's been sewn there that's like ooh, we're the rumble cloaks mm. um, and he's he's got you know a little um, short sword on one side and a little adventurer's pouch like on the other side it's not a full backpack he doesn't have like dungeoneering gear but he's got a handful of little supplies and a little pouch there um, and he says uh, yes <clears throat> sorry my name is Roxley Roland and uh, I am one of the the rumble cloaks and we were <clears throat> he's still out of breath <laughs> we were in the uh, <clears throat> we were in the foothills uh, exploring one of the dungeons there and we came across these interesting dwarven worked artifacts and this brigand uh, masquerading as a red cloak thought to steal it from us and uh, we will surely reclaim all of it I trust my companions implicitly but you are holding one of the uh, pieces of of silver that we reclaimed from the dungeon and I would I would like to have it back please very much oh absolutely here you go takes it back from you thank you very much sir okay and he like takes off in the other direction like he has probably no hope of catching up to them at this point because he stopped (laughs) and did his flourish and like made a whole thing instead of just telling you who he was but he sprints off down the alley where the footsteps of the others have kind of disappeared into the distance man this sound is weird tell me about it (laughs) behind you in the doorway stands the xenian sage uh chide Ann. she's just looking out at it and she goes troubled youth she kind of pulls her hood up and walks back inside the inside the the temple hmm. and as radford walks off to continue his day he thinks to himself what a wonderful this- world <laughs> well no he thinks to himself this place could probably could probably use a, a church of kelnor Ooh. Something, you know, to something a little bit more chaotic and chill to to deal with the the chaotic youth. Yeah, for sure. Um are you just going to go meet up with Alan or are you going to um pursue Yeah, I think I think we've uh, exhausted all of Radford's options right now. Okay. Uh the two of you meet up um maybe back at the sword and flagon uh you sit down to a a fairly nice dinner uh you know it's like a a hearty beef stew with some you know some some nice vegetables in there um and a big hunk of bread and two uh flagons of whatever you've chosen to order that evening um and you regroup (laughs) alan will have been like uh so what i had last night um i i should have been more clear with my phrasing um could I have the the acclaimed flagon of ale that this fine establishment has been named after? Oh, yes, yes. Why didn't you ask for a sword flagon? Of course. And a he, sword flagon. He mm, crouches down and pulls out a, a mug that's got like a, a little cover over the top of it. And he pierces it with a little tiny sword. Like sometimes people <laughs> hold um, burgers together with them. He pierces it with a little sword and he goes... <laughs> Uh, when you pull the sword from the mug, you will find your flavors intensified. And he hands it <laughs> off to you. Um, and so it's like a little, it, it's all, it's not, maybe it's, it's a, a gimmick. Drink. Maybe it's not a gimmick. Yeah. yeah but you, you can like pull the sword out of the little covering and then you can drink it. Uh, this you find to be fairly good. Um, okay. It is, uh, it's, it's a fruity beverage. Um, it's like a, like a sweeter, fruitier kind of, kind of drink, but it's still pretty strong and rich and, 
Is it like a is it like a like a cocktail or like a wine or is it like a like a beer? Uh, it's a, it's like a beer with like okay. some like like hints of fruit. You know what it's I mean? A, it's it's an IPA. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and and you find Alan it to be fairly it. good. Yep. <laughs> At least fairly good quality. I don't know if it's Great. to Alan's taste, but Alan Alan likes it. It's an IPA. It has some some assembly required. Somewhere sure, across the room from you, Jahira, is like six of these deep. It's like barely holding herself up on the table. I still believe it is quite impressive that she is able to do this every night without perishing. And Alan will enjoy his meal and drink. Just don't ask her, wait. I I will find a way to glean it somewhere it's else. Never, never, never acceptable. It's, in any it's way, a, shape, or form. It is important to figuring out what ratio of alcohol to body weight she is consuming to figure out at what point she will die. I understand that. Or why Please she has it. <laughs> Alan, women are mysteries. She <laughs> she hasn't died. We'll never know. And that's Okay. Hmm. That's probably one of the reasons why why she does it, is because she wants people to see her as being so mysterious. That is a theory I am willing to accept. Glad we reasoned that out. So, what'd you find? I got beans. What? Not literally beans. I just like I I, I couldn't find anything, hardly at all. Oh yes, earlier today. Um, I found a lot actually, and Alan will will outline the stuff which I've already sent to. Uh, I'm to kind of upset Discord. that that the books worked out better than talking to people. But here we are. Well, the That's cataloging we system that uh, Doctor Dewey has developed really made it quite simple to find the information I was looking for. It was as simple as thinking about the category, and then simply finding the author. I'm happy you're happy. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> the one the where Alan gets move? sponsored by his local library. That's what this one will be called. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I believe our next move would be to wait for the twins to recover, catch them up on what we know, and uh, begin our I journey. I mean, we could leave and they could just follow and catch up. Um, I... You know, you previously spoke about um, being prepared. I don't think that that's a good way to start off prepared. That's fair. Hmm. I am now realizing that I didn't ask anything about being prepared or like travel gear or anything like that. Oh, well, we've already, we have a tent now and a, and a sled. Oh, that's true. That's true. Think that sled needs wheels? Um, it's probably, this is probably good for the sand. Mm, this is that's right. great for mountains. <laughs> At least <laughs> one way. <laughs> Alan will will. What what time of the day is it by now? Is it dinner time? Yeah, it's like late afternoon, early evening. <clears throat> okay, Alan, the gates will probably some, shut in the next hour or two. We should get some animals or something. Right on. In the mountains, one of the adventurers at the at a nearby table turns to you. He's like eating a, a sort of traveler's bread. Like in the mountains, what you, you can't ride in the not in the rusty mountains. The, the hills are much too steep. Your animals would tire far faster than you will. 
Y'all don't have, like, those big goats out here that are, like, super awesome about riding on mountains? We have those in Thraxen House Domain. So it's wonderful. They're just, like, hop, skip, and a jump over, like, near vertical cliffs. They're great. Thraxen what? Yeah, okay. Well, that kind of stinks. <laughs> uh, I will see about... Um adding wheels to the sled if if that is not doable then perhaps it may be best to find a way to mount the giant tent to one of our packs or multiple of our packs so that we can share the load i'm not quite sure i may spend this evening trying to devise a plan for that it's gonna look like we're walking around carrying a coffin um i don't believe that once the tent is folded up it really resembles a coffin well, you said mounting it to, like, multiple packs. Ah, I see. Like, as if we... Ah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, not in that regard. Uh, we'll think of something. I'll think of something. Hey, I got an idea. What if... Now, this is... This is big... Big brain stuff here, all right? So, the way we're going to work this out is I'm the ideas guy, and you're going to make it work, because, you know, you're just, like... That good with that stuff so here's an idea what if we find the nest of that big bird and we tame it and just fly it across the mountains i believe that there are a few factors in that scenario that um would be extremely hard to control and likely very time consuming um I personally believe that strategy to be too risky unless by just asking like a couple people, they would be able to easily tell us where the nest of one of those birds are. But even then, Alan then starts going on about like, you would need to try to find a way to tame the bird, how to find a way to control its flight, or if it's intelligent enough, find a way to communicate to it to basically tell it, hey, we need you to take it take us from this place to that place. Um, and in that case, you would need to properly motivate the bird. Do birds take payment in wingle digits, etc. Et I mean, cetera. they would take payments in scorpion people. Uh, I guess that is I true. I, mean, I, like I think that, this is brilliant. I like that of all the hurdles that have uh, um, occurred to Alan, none of them are that it's been like seven months since the... Um, Aboleths were like made aware of the fact that four guys is like really coming after him because they rescued Larative. Like, does the time the time that has been ticking? Alan's like, yeah, but like you gotta try and find a way to motivate the bird. Then, like, that's the real <laughs> challenge. <laughs> you know, I mean, Alan's like he he's in the problem solving. I mean, he's not. Yeah, he's thinking like short term, like as in yeah. like short short term, as in what are the immediate roadblocks to this idea. Um, <laughs> I believe that there are too many uncontrollable factors in that plan. I think our current plan, which is I tonight will find a way to travel with our new tent. And tomorrow morning, assuming that the twins are recovered, we will begin our travel. What if, what if we put feet on the tent and it just walked with us? (laughs) Like the scale, Jahira roars from across the... (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yes. What if we did that? You're right. That, if we did that, that would be extremely helpful. 
<laughs> if we did that. Okay, well, I'll let you figure it out and work that up. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, I'm going to go up to our room and do just that. And Alan will <laughs> go up to the room and uh, see if he could like devise a way for us to carry the tent efficiently um, through the through the jungle. Uh, and and on that note, jungle. tonight's episode of the Wing Badger Tavern comes to a close. 